let me introduce you to Caroline Markham. Caroline is a longtime ranch employee, but it doesn't start there. At a very young age, she had visited the ranch with her family, and that's all it took to plant the seed of love and dedication for the ranch. There's no one like her. She's a special lady, that's for sure. Generations of guests know her by her gracious smile and infectious laugh. She's a true cowgirl through and through, with grit and grace and a gift of song. I was thrilled to have Caroline as my first interview. So without further ado, here's my interview with Caroline Markham. Let's start with a little bit about your background. Where are you from originally? I was born and raised in Chicago. I was a musician by training, have still always been a musician by training. But uh, when I moved here in 1990, uh, I had walked out of my office in downtown Chicago. It was 65 below zero with the wind chill. And I decided that maybe Wickenburg was a nicer place to live. Because my family started coming here in 1961 for our first season as spring vacation guests. I knew Wickenburg. I knew Lost Cab very well. And that was why I moved here. Uh, it took a couple of years, uh, but um, I was finally hired on as a Wrangler in 1992, and I have been here ever since. Do you miss Chicago at all? There are a few things I miss. Fine restaurants would be one. Uh, I miss the change of the seasons a little bit, but after all my years here, I have grown to appreciate the milder winters and the beautiful springs and I just tolerate summer. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first impression of the ranch when you arrived? Well, you know, I was only three so I don't really remember much. Um, I do have some very, very uh, bright memories. when I was, uh, when my sister and I were both little, we had uh, a nanny, and her name was Esther Taylor, and she was a little older lady, but she was very energetic. And when we came, I remember she told my father, "Could she borrow our rental car and go see a ghost town?" So I went with Miss T to Octave which is down at the bottom of, uh, it's kind of at the base of Yarnell Hill. And one thing I do remember is driving by the painted frog that's right on the road to Octave. I remember uh, there was a little old man that lived in this ghost town. He kept goats, and they all had little beds with little metal springs. They looked like old-timey beds, but all the goats had a bed. And uh, and I the other thing I do remember is Poor Miss T sunburned her ankles horribly and was very miserable for a couple of days, and I I felt sorry for her. But uh, my mother did tell me, though, when uh, she took my sister and I down to the round corral with the children's group to um, get on a horse. My sister, if I was three, my sister would have been seven, just seven, and they put my sister on a horse and she cried. And when they put me up on the horse, and there's a picture in the books up there of me on my first ride, big smile, grabbed the horn, 
flapped my little legs and said, go. <laughs> so would you say that was your first introduction? Yes, it was the start of something wonderful. But anyway, every year that we came back, and we never missed a year, until I think I was in college, I might have missed a year uh, because of spring vacations, it was like coming home, coming back to the ranch, looking for your favorite horse, and as you grew, you found that, gosh, I get to ride an adult horse now. I'm 13. I'm in the teenage group. And uh, being so excited. And, you know, back then, you know, the Wranglers kept coming back. We had the same head Wrangler, Buford Giles. Before that, it was Tommy Higgins. Um, and then, you know, many of the same cowboys came back year after year. And you saw familiar faces. The staff was all familiar. They remembered your name. It was. It was like coming home. When did you start working? I started here in 1992, and they hired me as the children's counselor slash wrangler. So um, I'll never forget that spring. Spring of 93, I had 65 children in my children's program. And when I would sit on the porch and wait for the kids to run down from breakfast uh, with my list, and I'd sign the kids up, you know, you see... 35 trail-age kids running down the hill, all wanting to ride the same five horses. And, you know, that's when, you know, tough sergeant major part of me comes out. I'd make them sit. They had to be quiet. And they'd say, oh, no, I have to have Grumpy today. No, you can't have Grumpy. You have to ride, you know, Buckle. Or you have to ride, um, oh, I'm trying to remember some of our wonderful old horses, Lemon. You have to ride Lemon today, or you can ride Wooly today, but you can't ride Grumpy. So it was fun, and the kids were great. I still, you know, keep in touch with a lot of these kids, and the funny thing is, is now they're parents, and at the end of my, you know, time as just a children's wrangler, because I was children's wrangler for 20 years, they were bringing me their kids, (laughs) And I'd say, yeah, I just don't know if I'm going to be children's wrangler anymore. No, Caroline, you can't retire from being children's wrangler. You have to take my children out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so lots of fun. And then after being a children's wrangler, you moved into? I, I just became a regular, a regular wrangler, and, um, but I still would take the kids out. You know, we saw in the corrals over the years that though – Some parents loved the fact that their children got on a separate ride at 9.30. Um, A lot of parents wanted to ride with their children, and I certainly understand that. So often my children's rides had five or six adults on them. So we finally combined everything into family rides morning and afternoon. And, uh, you know, if we have a bunch of kids that want to go out together, send out a kid's ride. That's not a problem. But, uh, and I'll tell you, I learned more from the children than I must say I ever learned from many adults. I mean, it, the conversation on a different level, but gosh, I loved riding with the kids. Just loved it. Is there a memorable moment on a ride? With the children? Um, let me think. I remember I bought a wonderful uh, mare at a yard sale here in town, oh gosh, 20 years ago. 
and her name was Molly. And the children adored her, absolutely adored her. She was a character. She'd open the gate with her nose. She was never, she never squealed, she never kicked, and the kids loved her. And one thing she started doing was when I would open a gate and I'd have a, a little stronger rider in the, in the front to take the kids through, and then I'd stay back, she'd stomp her foot for every child that went through. And this one little girl at the end had watched this whole thing. She said, Molly's counting. I said, yes, she's going to make sure that we all get home in one lovely piece. Wow. She was an amazing horse. She was amazing. But uh, gosh, as far as, you know, I might have to think about that for a second. Because after 20 years, I mean, I think there had to be a, um, a real memorable thing every year so and what about your musical background uh i trained as an opera singer i did go and sing opera the year before i came on staff in 91 i moved to austria i sang opera there um and do you know it was a wonderful experience i wouldn't have traded it for anything but I found that opera did not fit my voice perfectly. And that was a telling thing when the agents that I auditioned for said, schön, 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 which means lovely in German. But there's a not very polite sounding name, uh, term in German that means your voice doesn't quite fit every, every role that you could sing. And uh, it basically means in the cracks. So my voice just was not quite suited to, uh, to be castable all the time. I could sing pants rolls. I sang all the, the little teenage boy pants rolls. But it wasn't a go. So when I came back here late, early in 92, um, I was hired on in Phoenix with the Phoenix Bach Choir, which is now the Phoenix Chorale. At the time, it was the only all-professional choir in Arizona. I toured with them for almost 20 years. We won a couple of Grammys. Um, so it was great fun. And, but after a while, that drive all the way down to the valley and back, sometimes late at night, got kind of old. So I decided to retire. Took another professional job down in Phoenix for another 10 years. And now I just sing here. <laughs> When did you start singing at the cookouts, or how did that come about? Do you know, I, I really don't remember. Um, at the time that I started playing, this was in the mid-90s, I was also getting some extra hours as a bartender. I believe it was 1996. And we had a singing cowboy there named Ray Calloway. And uh, he was absolutely wonderful. And one of them... One of, somebody walked up and said, hey, Ray, you need to sing with that bartender. And, of course, he said, oh, gosh, another singing bartender. He'd probably been hearing that for, you know, for years. So finally, finally, he came up to me and he said, well, what do you sing? And I said, what do you mean what I sing? And he goes, well, what do you sing? And I said, well, I sing classical music. Oh, well, that won't work. What are we going to do about that? And I said, do you know any, he said, do you know any Western songs? And I said, well... I know crazy. Oh, that's great. What key do you sing it in? 
So I went to the piano and I figured out what, I said I'd sing it in the key of C, and he goes, darn, I sing it in the key of A. But the next week when he came to play his gig, he'd learned it in the key of C. So he played it for me and I sang, and that was the start of a very long partnership musically. Um, we sang and performed together for several years, and that's when it started. So probably mid to late 90s. And was it easy to transition from your past background in singing into Western style? So it felt comfortable? Oh, always did. It always did. So it was just learning to play the guitar. Because <laughs> I'm a violinist by training. That was my first, uh, my first major instrument. I played in a string quartet for years. But uh, I remember one of the other cowboys here at the corral, C.W. Williamson, uh, when I was grumbling about having to use more than, you know, two or three fingers at a time, he looked at me and he said, God meant you to play with all four fingers, and sometimes five. So C.W. was kind of my my uh, my anchor there. He made me realize that uh, I just had to toughen up my fingers and play that guitar. Which so you I, had some good mentors, it sounds like. Oh, yes. Here at the ranch. I did, I did. Yeah, I, but I was basically self-taught. Ray Calloway, though he was a fine musician, he did not have much patience for instruction. <laughs> so uh, that was okay. It was a good way to learn. So you've done kids wrangler, wrangler, musician. Was there any role that you were interested in that you haven't done? Well, you know, I, I would have to say it's my new role. Um, I, I decided because after over 30 years of throwing saddles, I have a left shoulder that's gotten a little grumpy with me, and I thought, well, maybe it's just time to retire. I approached the new owners of the ranch and told them that I intended to kind of step back from the corrals as much as I could, but I really saw a need because we have a lot of new staff, and, you know, people have retired that the longtime guests aren't feeling as appreciated and welcome as they felt in the past because we had familiar staff. I'm a longtime face, and so I asked them if I could take that role, and they said, yes, absolutely, and took it a little step further. I've done a little traveling, taking my guitar, singing songs, and telling my story and my history about the ranch, and hopefully bring new guests in and I will definitely be up there giving hugs and welcoming longtime guests that return to us. So, so you're an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. And I get to wear clean clothes all the time. <laughs> but I'm still, I'm going to come to work in my, uh, in my corral clothes. And uh, in the mornings, I'm going to come down to the corrals and help get people up on horseback. And, you know, if... if our head wrangler needs me to ride. If he needs an extra hand, I'll be there because my horse will be here too. What were some of the greater challenges, either when you were a kids wrangler or just being a wrangler out on the trail? You know, the, the kids want to grab things. And every time, I, you know, I'd say everything out here has a thorn. It's going to hurt you. Don't grab the mesquites. Don't grab the, you know, the white thorn acacia. Please don't grab the cat claw. Please. Anyway, so they learn pretty fast. I would say my greatest concern 
It was never a worry. It was never a fear. I didn't have nightmares about it. Was, you know, what happens when sometimes you fall off. And I remembered the first time I came off my horse. Horse's name was Badger. We were going to the Vulture Peak Cookout. We were going down by the old Sunsea Corrals, and we got to the other side of that gate, and there was a little steer underneath a tree. I didn't see the steer, but Badger did. Badger went straight to the left and left me midair, and I went on the ground. I was fine. It was really more my pride that was hurt more, but I do recall getting to the cookout and running to my father and saying, Daddy, my horse bucked me off. Well, of course he didn't. He didn't. I just didn't have my feet in my stirrups hard enough. So anyway, challenges, he just, you know, I was always looking back. I, I always had great turning ability to look back and make sure that all of my kids were staying in the saddle where their hands should be on the reins and making sure that they understood that keeping a little weight in your feet anchored you in that saddle just like glue. And I do that with adult rides too. If A lot of people don't realize that what keeps you in that saddle is just plain old barnyard gravity. And if you put gravity to your advantage, you're going to have a lovely ride. But, uh, you know, you're worried about kids uh, having enough to drink, making sure that they're hydrated before they go out, that they have enough sunscreen on. I started putting sunscreen in my little saddlebag because sometimes these little, especially these little girls who wanted a tan, they'd go out in a sleeveless thing and they get so red. So, and it was funny, if I tried to put sunscreen on a kid, they never, never grumbled. It was when their mother tried to put sunscreen on them that they'd grumble a little bit. I loved kind of being the surrogate parent out there. You know, I never had any children of my own. There wasn't any reason. But I always joke that I think my body thought I had hundreds. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just feel like I really mentored a lot of kids. And I am still friends with them now, now that they're parents and uh, they're bringing their children out here. And I look at them, I look at the age of their kids. I don't feel old a bit. I still feel the same. It's, uh, it's kind of a nice thing. But, uh, you know, challenge, safety, always safety. And um, making sure that you share all the knowledge that you have with anybody, be they eight years old or 68 or 78, to make sure that they are safe out there. Did weather ever affect the ride? Oh, oh, goodness. I remember we were at Vulture Peak Cookout, and traditionally the Wranglers sit in a little semicircle close to the horses where they're tied up. And we looked back at Vulture Peak, and we couldn't see it. You know, if you can't see Vulture Peak, you're going to get wet. So we all jumped on our horses, got everybody up on their horses, and tried to make it back to the ranch. (sighs) Hail, thunder, lightning, and you just did the best you could. You know, a couple of scared little kids, there were some tears. I said, we're going to be fine. This is the greatest experience you're ever going to have because, you know, when you get back to the ranch, 
you are now a real cowboy or cowgirl. And you know the kids were tough. It was cold. The horses will turn their backs to the direction that the rain is coming because they don't want to get hit in the face. And sometimes those horses don't want to move. They'll turn around and go the other way. But kids did fine, did fine. I do remember um, one time Norm was coming back with his kids' ride, and fortunately he had a cell phone, and he called me from the gate, and we jumped in the truck and came and got the kids and put them in my truck and warmed them up and got them hot cocoa, and they were soaked, just soaked. But, um, and I've had, you know, there was a lovely couple that came for years, and they wanted a big, long ride. So I took them on a three-hour morning ride. And um, the weather completely changed. We went over to Flyney and then came back the other way. The sky was black. And I said, you know what? We need to go home. But we could only come back a certain way. And uh, I was an hour late, and they sent the head wrangler out uh, to find me. And uh, I got back just about the time he was coming back because he didn't find me. And I didn't have a cell phone. So, How has technology changed? Well, um, you know, it's, it's wonderful now that we have um, radios that we take on our rides. And, um, you know, other ranches that I've worked at, I've worked in Montana and Wyoming earlier in my career um, as a wrangler. But uh, radios are very important. You know, before radios, we'd just have to do what we did. And, uh, you know, we've been very, very fortunate here. We've had very few serious accidents. But it does happen. More often than not, it's because someone has not been very honest about their riding ability, and they go on a they get on a ride that's past their, past their abilities. And we do our very best not to let that happen. Do guests have cell phones on their ride? Oh, yes, they often. Can that be problematic? You know, I try and make a joke out of it, but if I see somebody on their cell phone, I will say, no cell phones while you're driving that horse. Unless they're taking a picture, but... I, I try not to let that happen. We all try not to let that happen. It's just, you want your attention to be on the trail and on what your horse is doing. You, you have to remember that horses have a will and a mind of their own. If you've got a 1,200-pound animal underneath you and you're not at least making the effort to pay attention to what he sees, it might not be pretty. And that's the least you can do for yourself and for your horse and for, your, for the, pe- the other people on your ride. It's the same thing as driving a car. If you're not paying attention to what your horse is doing, he may cause another problem for another horse and another rider. So it's responsibility. So I'm sure that you've had relationships with many horses over the years. Mm-hmm. Is there one in particular extra special? Well... I didn't always have my own horse here at the ranch. Um, I would have to say that the horse that I have now, Mojave, is by far the most savvy 
and the best trail and working horse that I've ever had. Now, I'm really lucky because Mojave was at one time part of this herd. Uh, it was when um, a gentleman named Tom Seacrest was our horse concessioner. Uh, unfortunately, Tom went out of business, and Mojave was bought by a horse trader or was repossessed, along with about three-quarters of our herd, by a horse trader down in Cave Creek named Gary Clay. And it's kind of a funny story. Mojave was a very, he was a popular guy. I never rode him. We had a wrangler named uh, Lindsay Ludwig who did all the groundwork on Mojave when he came as a three, four-year-old. He was very popular with the wranglers, but I never rode him because I always had my own horse. I had Molly, the big, wonderful mare. Um, after that, I was riding a big plug named Blackie, who, he was terrible. He was awful, but that's okay. Um, and then I had a beautiful horse. I had a wonderful horse named Bentley, who I just adored. Um, but I found that Bentley was one of those horses that needed a year-round job, and I couldn't quite give it to him. So I sold him to our present horse concessioner, Chad Madsen, and... But before that happened, I had a dream about Mojave. I thought, hmm, that's odd. And the crux of the dream was I needed to find him and buy him. That very same day, a lady who had ridden Mojave for years and adored him, a guest, longtime guest from New York, sent me an email saying, where's Mojave? I want to buy him and I'll give him to the ranch. And I thought, well, you know, there's a sign here. So I called up Gary Clay, and I said, Gary, do you still have a Mojave horse? And he goes, yeah, Caroline, I, I do. Why? And I said, well, I want to buy him. And he goes, well, you know what my price is. And I said, yeah, I know. And he said, well, you've got to make me a promise, though. I said, all right. He said, my deal is that if I sell you Mojave, you don't turn around and sell him for twice what you're going to pay for him to some guest at the ranch that loves him. Deal. It took me about three months to get Mojave because he was, at, uh, he was up at his ranch in New Mexico. So I finally, it was President's Day weekend, I drove to Cave Creek and picked up Mojave from Gary's place. And I walked up to the fence when I got there, and I said, Mojave! Mojave picked up his head and came running over. And he said, that horse knows you. And I said, no, he just knows his name. And everybody teases me because when I go out and catch him in the morning, that's what I do, Mojave. And he comes, lifts up his head, and he comes walking over. But he is, he's so smart, knows all the trails. Um, he's quarter to half Pasifino. He's a Mexican grade gelding. He is smooth. He's fun. And I love him. I just, I've never loved a horse as much as I've loved this one. And he's a pickle. He's a real pickle. He can just be, he can be a fuss budget. He can be, you know, he can be a little grumpy. Um, but he's mine. And I adore him. I wouldn't trade him for a million dollars. I tell people my story about, you know, not selling him. And I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell him for 50 times what I paid for him. So, and how anyway. old is Mojave now? He's probably 18, 19. Um, he's got a little arthritis in a back, uh, in a back knee, but 
he gets a little uh, he get a little horsey Advil um, a few times a week, and he's just fine. So he's my guy. How has the ranch changed over the years? My my promise to myself was, if the ranch ever, from its heart and soul, didn't feel the same, it was time for me to go. Now, 30 years later, the heart and soul of this ranch is still there for me. And this is my home. If your home doesn't feel the same, then maybe, maybe, eh, maybe it's time to go. But the heart and soul of this ranch is still the same. Maybe the face has changed. Maybe we have new rooms. We have a new area where we have weddings. We have a beautiful new wall with a fireplace, um, new furniture. But the heart and soul of this place is still intact. We have changed ownership, but we changed ownership so that we could keep that heart and soul. And I'm forever grateful to the families that have bought the ranch and now to the Homeowners Association because I would have had to go if it had gone another way. I was going to break my heart. And... I know that there are thousands of guests that feel the same way, and that's why they keep coming back. And now that we're coming out of the pandemic and people are traveling more, I really feel in our 75th season it's going to be fabulous. But nothing really has changed except appearance. How has it changed you? Oh, my goodness. You know, um, I was always people person. My last job in Chicago, which was for the Wrigley Company, I was in, I uh, worked for the office of the building. So I dealt with staff, I dealt with clients, I dealt with uh, tenants, I dealt with the Wrigley Company. And it, I think it really brought me to a place where I knew exactly what my personal and professional strengths were. Do you know, as a, as a, as a stage musician, um, you know, you're, you're up on that stage to bring joy, to connect with your audience, and to share a gift that you may have with them to make their evening a little bit more fun or a little bit more moving or bring them to a place where they feel they're connected to you. I think Lost Cab has, at least for me, you know, being a wrangler all these years and getting to know all these lovely guests... I feel like my family has grown. Um, it's just been so rewarding and so fulfilling. It has brought me great joy and great happiness. And, you know, we'll have a frustrated day now and again, but that's because you want things to be the best for your guests. And if you feel you're running into a wall, you have to find a way to kick a hole in that wall and make it better. But it's, uh, I, you know, I can't, I can't think of 30 years I'd have rather spent doing anything else. And I hope to keep going a few more. This has been wonderful. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Either it's a memory or just an experience or anything about the ranch? I think it, it, it'll be a memory for me. Um, when uh, 
when I was little here. Eight. The age of eight was the trail age, not seven and a half, not seven and three quarters. You had to be a full eight. And I remember seeing a picture of me at age seven in the round corral looking bored out of my mind. So when I finally, finally got out on my first trail ride, and I know exactly where we went, and I go there often because I can, it's a big deja vu moment for me. And I remember Gene, who was the head wrangler then, his wife, uh, Sue, was the children's wrangler. They had a little boy named Lee Bob. And Jean took me out on my first trail ride. And we went back over here, back behind, on the way to Wickenburg Peak in an area called Pussycat Canyon, because I guess maybe they'd seen some lions there in the past, or bobcats or something. But I remember being on my horse. I was so proud and looking out at that desert and those mountains and that beautiful blue sky and thinking, this is for me. When I'm a big girl and I can make my own decisions, this is where I will be. And I am. And you're still here. And I'm still here. Sharing, sharing <laughs> the love of the ranch. Yep, sharing the love of the ranch. So You can see it in your face. You can yeah. see the joy. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's, you know... This is my home. I have a house in town, but really the ranch is my home. It has had my heart for all of these years, all 61 years. And, you know, I, I admit that the corrals are really where my soul lives, but my heart and soul are here. And uh, I couldn't imagine doing anything else until I can't anymore. So there it is. Thank you. Thank you, dearie. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this first episode in our summer series. Be sure to tune in next week as we learn some fascinating facts about the ranch's history by the one and only. Wait, I can't tell you who yet. You'll just have to tune in to find out. But before we sign off today, I want to give a big shout out to Dick Fredrickson for his musical contribution. That beautiful banjo music was performed and written by Dick. This podcast was produced by Minor Productions. In other words, me. So if you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the Souvenirs podcast, please share it with family and friends. Till next time.